Well, this morning you got three sermons for the price of one. And um, Michelle told me she was very anxious when I announced that we were going to have three sermons this morning. She said I better not because she was, she was ready. Truth is, I think I probably could preach on three hours. Probably be easier to preach for three hours than it would be to preach in 30 minutes. Because preaching 30 minutes takes a lot of work to consolidate all these ideas. I'd much rather ramble on for three hours, but I don't. I value your time, and we're only going to do one sermon tonight. You know, another way of looking at this might not be that they're all different sermons, but rather Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a pause or a break in looking at the different people of faith that might be an encouragement to us. People who were facing difficult circumstances. People who were troubled and burdened by the world that they lived in, who were stuck facing persecution. I'm not just talking about people who, in a general sense, were struggling to identify with who they were in a world. But I'm talking about people that were being persecuted because of who they were in the world. The early church didn't have an easy time. I think that's especially true of Jewish converts to the faith who place their faith in God. Well, I believe that's the reason why the author of Hebrews gives us this encouragement. I mentioned this morning that in Hebrews chapter 11, there's some sort of a pause. So we go immediately from chapter 10 where we're being exhorted not to shrink back, not to be destroyed, but to be those who have faith and persevere and are able to preserve their own souls. And that it would make sense to jump straight into chapter 12 where our author's giving for us what is our confidence. Chapter 12 verse 1 begins, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, how do you run with endurance in all of this persecution and temptation and suffering and trials and different things? Well, we pause in chapter 11 and we find that the answer is faith. This morning we looked at the life of Abel, who gave us an example of worship by faith. We looked at the life of Enoch, who gave us an example of a life lived by faith. We looked at the example of Noah, which was a public proclamation of faith. I want to pick up this evening right where we left off at verse 8. Looking all the way through verse 16, we find only two people, Abraham and Sarah, that need to be discussed. Let us read our text, and then we will consider what the application of faith in light of trial is. The Bible says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead 
were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. This morning we looked at an example of faith in terms of what does it mean to worship in faith, live in faith, and to publicly proclaim our faith. This evening, I simply want to look at what faith looks like in action through the life of Abraham. And the first thing that we'll note is in response to faith, we have a command, and you should pick up on this if you're paying attention to Noah's command to publicly live out his faith, even though he was living in a wicked world, he was warned by God of the flood that was coming, and still he built a, an ark, a huge boat, and no means of moving it to any water around him. Not sure people even knew what a boat was, but by faith he did what God told him to do. And as a result of living faithfully to God's word, he proclaimed that God was coming. In fact, our text in Hebrews 11 says that because of this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness by his faithfulness. Now, I regret not bringing this up this morning, but while Hebrews chapter 11 repeats the word faith, the other word that is repeated in those first couple of verses, verses 1 through 7, is the word commendation. People received their commendation by faith, and by lack of faith, what did they receive? Condemnation. That word's real close. Pay attention. They have totally different meanings. To be commended means that they are receiving their reward, they're receiving some sort of a prize, they're receiving their inheritance, the promises of God are coming into fruition. To be condemned means that there was no excuse left for them. The truth is, it is by lack of faith that all of the world will be condemned. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Noah may have publicly proclaimed his faith in front of the people, but the command that was given to, to Abraham and that is given to all Christians, that is given to all people, as a matter of fact, to live by faith according to God, in verse 8, is to go. A two-letter word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. Out to a place that, is to receive, that he was to receive as an inheritance. First thing that I want to look at this evening is Abraham's faith as he went. We find this very command beginning in Genesis chapter 12 when God comes to Abraham. I'd like you to turn there so that we can all keep up in the same place. Genesis 12 verse 1 begins, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, from and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. 
And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The institution of the covenant with Abraham created by God is extended not just to his particular lineage or to a particular people, but to all families of the earth. God calls us to go. He didn't tell Abraham where to go. He simply told him to go. I think the same could be said of many of us. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know who I'm supposed to preach the gospel to. But you know what I do know I'm supposed to do? That was careful. I had to watch out and make sure I didn't accidentally say do-do, and I didn't. So that's somewhat disappointing. You know what the Bible does tell us to do? To go. In the sense of Abram, he was told to leave his country, to leave his family. Now put that in your modern equivalent sense. That means to leave all comfortability. Everything that makes you think that you are secure, leave it behind and go. Go where, God? The command of God comes to go and it is buttressed by the fact of God's promises. Continuing on in verse 8, he's told to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Stick with me. God gives us a command. He gives us a promise. And the only thing we could possibly do is to respond in obedience. The command of God tells us to go. Abraham left the land that he lived in for a land of promise. That's in verse 9. The only place to be for any of us, if we're absolutely honest, the only place we should want to be, the only place we should desire to be, is in the place that God has told us to be in. And my friends thought I was crazy when I told them I was moving to Greenwood. Almost three years ago. Moving to Greenwood. What do you mean you're moving to Greenwood? You've got such a good thing going on up here. You've got all your friends. You've got a... Very successful Bible study group. We're seeing people grow. You're discipling so many young men. Yeah, they're ready for me to leave. Well, you've got Brother Wade pouring into you and Brother Ron and Brother Michael, and you've got all of these people watching over you and training you and, and, and showing you how to grow up in the faith and to be mature. And I'm ready to leave them. God tells us to go. He tells us to go and He doesn't tell us where to go, but He tells us to be there. You know, I can't imagine being anywhere besides where God has called me to be. I remember some friends a few years ago getting ready to go on a vacation, not a vacation, a VSM trip, a volunteer student ministries mission trip overseas. And they were going to a pretty, they are going to a dangerous part of the world for a Christian to be in. They're going to the Middle East. And the husband wasn't going. It was only the wife was going. And and I remember this was really starting to cause issues as they got closer and closer. And the fundraising came in and they realized, no, this is really going to happen. We're not going to be able to bail out at the last minute and say the funds didn't come in. The funds are here. Husband started getting more and more nervous. And wife said, all right, I guess I'm going. I don't know if you've ever been in that position, but it's kind of scary when somebody that you love leaves you to go halfway around the world. 
to an undeveloped part of the world where they aren't able to call you. Maybe they aren't able to send messages on, on Facebook or anything like this. How am I going to keep up with them? If any harm befalls them, how will I rescue them? I'm not sure my credit cards have a high enough limit to be able to fly over there and save them even if the need came up. And the wife said something that just totally astounded me. You think I'm safer here outside of the will of God than I am over there inside of the will of God? The husband was not only humbled, but I think he was rightly put in his place by a godly woman. There is nowhere else for us to be than inside the will of God. He calls us to go. This is the example that's set out. This is where Abraham goes. Abraham's faith is seen as he went. Now put this in context, you all, because Abraham didn't know where he was going. This is like the guy that goes, I had a, somebody who worked with me at Walmart. And he would go on vacation. I'd ask him where he's going. I said, I don't know. I get the best deal since it's just me flying. I go to the airport and I ask for the cheapest ticket wherever. And that's how he did his vacations. He had the greatest stories. That sounds like fun as long as you've got a return ticket on the way back, right? Abraham had no return ticket. He didn't know where he was going. He wandered out, leaving everything that made him comfortable, his family, his country, left it all so that he could be obedient to God's word, so that he could secure the promise of receiving as an inheritance a land that was set apart for him. He pursued what could not be seen because he lived by faith. Remember our definition of faith is being able to see what cannot be seen? He pursued by faith the promise of God, something that he could not see on his own, but something that he knew was there because God had told him it was there. And he left in obedience. He pursued, he tells us in verse 10, a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What do you think he was looking for? He was looking for a city that God established. Because he was a man that God had made. Well, if we looked at Abraham's faith as he went, being a Christian isn't all about going. Some of you guys know this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes being a Christian is waiting. That's the hard part. Abraham's faith didn't just go so far as he was told to go, but it lasted as long as he was told to wait. Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she, is considered, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born the descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. Part of Abraham's promise was that not only that he would stumble upon this great city that would become an inheritance, but that he would become himself a nation. A people set apart for God. If you turn a second to go to Genesis chapter 15, 
might just flip forward a few chapters. Look at Genesis chapter 17. This is really astounding what God has promised him. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thou and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Jump down to verse 17 for a second. This is where we find Abraham's reaction. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? God told Abraham he was going to become the father of many nations. He fell on his face before God and he laughed. And pay attention, I don't think this is the same kind of laugh that we often imagine Sarah doing while she's in the tent. That was a laugh of rebellion. Abraham's laugh is the kind of laugh that was like this. It's all he could do but to, bring back te- to hold back tears. God, the Lord God, said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Me? You're going to make me a father of many nations? I think that's Abraham's reaction as he fell on his face and laughed. Me at a hundred years old? Ninety-nine years old? Will I be, by the time I'm a hundred, I'm going to be a father? My wife is ninety years old. She's going to bear a child to me? Remember, we skipped from Genesis chapter 12 all the way up to Genesis chapter 17. There's been a lot that's happened between now and then. At this point in Abraham's reaction, God is not just for the first time telling him that he's going to be a father of many nations, but this is now the second time that he's reaffirming this promise with him because Abraham and Sarah, or Sari, have taken matters into their own hands, and Abraham is laid with Sarah's um, maid. Ishmael's been born. God promises to bless Ishmael. If you read the middle of Genesis chapter 17, you see all of that there. But God is going to make Abraham a nation or many nations through his wife Sarah. Despite being all common sense that would say that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman cannot have children. Now listen... John and Donna, if you guys come back with a kid, I'm going to be shocked. And I'm not helping at all because my hands are full. Same for you guys. All right, listen. God made a promise. And in this instance, Sarah had faith. She moved past her rebellion the first time that you heard. Sarah had faith, and by her faith, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By her faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
On what basis did Sarah possibly consider God to be faithful? At this point, God had told her husband to pack up and leave all the comforts of home, go out into the wilderness so that they could receive a promised land, and they're still wandering around in tents. They're looking for a city that's laid with a foundation, a picture of something that's secure, steadfast, not moving, and they're living in tents. I don't know about you, but I don't think tents are secure foundations. If it gets real windy, they just blow away. Here they are traveling in a caravan in a land unknown to them without the comforts of home. But Sarah believed that God was faithful. How could she possibly have come to this conclusion that God is faithful enough to make her to conceive? I don't know what it was. I think she simply put on the spectacles, the spiritual spectacles that allow us to see what cannot be seen. And by her faith, she was able to conceive. And during this time, I want to point out that while God told Abraham to go, he was faithful beyond just going. He was faithful in the waiting room, waiting for Jacob to be born, waiting for Isaac to be born. He was faithful waiting for his descendants. Abraham waited. Sarah trusted in God's faithfulness. I hate to make you guys flip back. You don't have to, but I want to point something out. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, we find God introduces Himself and God says, "Wherein the Lord appeared to Abraham. That's the word Jehovah for God. Jehovah appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Almighty God. That's the word El Shaddai. Uh, we haven't done a, a study that I know of, at least during the time that I'm here, on the names of God. But I want you to pick up on the significance of this. El Shaddai has three words. El means God, like Elohim. Shad means of or is. And Adai means sufficiency. Oftentimes this is translated God Almighty or the Almighty God. That's how the King James translates it. When God says to Abraham, I am the El Shaddai, I am the God of sufficiency, walk before me and be thou perfect. Their confidence is coming from the fact that God has established everything before them. Their confidence in waiting comes in knowing who it is that goes before them. There's difficulty in, in waiting in the Christian life. There's difficulty in waiting for the people that we love to finally get over their hard hearts and to be softened and respond to the word of the gospel. There's difficulty in frustration and being a church member and wanting to care for people and people not wanting you to care for them. There's difficulty and frustration in being a father and seeing a, a daughter who's re rebellious and and crying out and suffering from whatever it is that's causing her to cry as you separate from her so that she can go to Sunday school class. I'm just waiting. I want you to remember that God's a patient God as He waits for us. There's frustration 
and waiting to go on a mission trip where God has called you to go. But the funds haven't come in yet. There's frustration in wanting to serve fervently what we think we should do for the Word of God and being hindered. As we wait, I think it's important that we remember that God's not only faithful to provide, but that sometimes God may choose to limit our resources so that we might enjoy the abundance of all that He makes available for us. Abraham and Sarah did not wait when Ishmael was born. He was faithful to go, but he struggled to wait. Despite such faithlessness, God was still faithful. Sometimes God teaches us more than we even realize as we're waiting. He's there with us. God always has a reason for His delays. Just like we should be confident that we are safer where God wants us to be than where God does not want us to be. We should also be confident that if God wants us to wait, that's where we ought to be. One final point, and we'll be through. This is really the main point of the entire chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham was faithful as he went. He was faithful as he waited. Most importantly, he was faithful until the end. All these descendants that would come from Abraham became as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore, according to verse 12. Look at verse 13. All these descendants died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. All these generations that waited. All Abraham's descendants didn't get a chance to see the city that was built up that's described in verse 10, laid with a foundation stone. A city whose designer and builder is God. They, they didn't get to see that. That's what Abraham went out looking for. That's what he was told to go for. All his descendants, all these many, as, as innumerable as the stars, as innumerable as the grains of sand, they died in faith not having received the things promised. Just pause there. Let me ask you, is there a point to all this waiting? Here we are, a church gathered for the purpose of being edified by the Word of God, glorifying God by our faithfulness to assemble, blessing God with our presence. You ever get tired of waiting? I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired of waiting. I'm only 30 years old. I'm sick of it. If I could tell you how many times Michelle tells me I'm ready just to be with Jesus. On a regular basis, that comes up every single week. And it catches me off guard whenever she started saying it because I went, yeah, you know what, me too. I'm tired of 
get news notifications with school shootings. I'm tired of getting news notifications with wars. I'm tired of getting texts from people that I think care about me that do not reflect any godly concern. I'm tired of being skeptical of people that I think that I'm able to trust. I don't want to be foolish. I have to be skeptical. But I don't think I have to worry about that in heaven. I'm tired of living in a world where people reject the best news they could ever have. I'm tired of sharing the gospel with people and them saying maybe later. easy to get callous to those things and for it not to affect our heart. But every time somebody rejects the gospel, it breaks my heart. Whether it's in their actions or whether it's in their response. If you're like me and tired of waiting, the point of Hebrews chapter 11 isn't just so that we could run through the MVPs It isn't so that we could just look at the great fathers of the faith. It is so that we would be assured of the same old faith that preserves us today. The faith that is able to endure hardship. And let me be clear, we don't even know hardship. In the context of Hebrews chapter 10, we have no idea what suffering looks like. doubt we could even imagine it if we tried. I said this morning that as I peer into the future, I'm confident that things are going to get better. I'm also confident of something else, and I'd rather share this with a small group on Sunday evening than the whole church and the visiting people who come on Sunday mornings. I'm also confident it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Are you ready for that? Is your faith enough to get you through that? to stand strong, to lock arms with the people who are in this room. Are you ready for that? The point of Hebrews chapter 11 is that our faith would endure. Dying waiting does not mean that these people did not see what was coming. Verse 13 says, having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. While they died waiting for the city described in verse 10 of our text, they saw it from afar, and they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. If you're putting on your spiritual spectacles of faith, You're already experiencing part of the glories of heaven and being able to unite in what cannot be seen. Because believe me, now I don't believe even that the Jerusalem that has been established by um, Joshua is the city that was built by God. I believe that city's still coming. I'm confident in that. I have assurance in that. Because the Bible tells me so. I recognize that I am a stranger and an exile in this world because a world that is born into sinfulness and rejects God, I have no part in. 
Not just in the way that I separate myself by the way that I act, but in the way that I identify with the people in the kingdom of God. What's more important to me is that I be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven than anything else. And when the time comes that the world shows their ugly face, and if you're putting on the spiritual spectacles of faith, I believe that you'll be able to see it. The world not only stands in opposition to the faith, but the world is rallying against the faith. And when the time comes that the ugly head of sin rears itself in the presence of humanity, I will not stand alongside reformers. I will not stand alongside those that want to fix a broken system, I will stand alongside the kingdom of God. Because I don't belong to the reformers. And you can't reform something if you're not a part of it. Back up for a second. Sometimes you hear Baptists talking about being reformed Baptists. That's the silliest phrase in the whole world. Baptists have never been reformers. Because we weren't part of the Catholic Church. Never have been, never will be. We've always been doing our own thing because we're part of the kingdom of God. And that's the same way that I'm going to go out. I'm not going to reform a broken system that I'm not a part of because I'm a part of a system that's been instituted by my Lord Jesus Christ while He was on earth and the church will prevail until the end because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Abraham's faith persevered until the end. We know that because while he wandered, looking at verse 14, the people who were speaking of this said that they were seeking a homeland. If they were seeking the land that they had come from, I'm paraphrasing as I read, but you can read along with me. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they weren't called out of a particular land to go wandering in the wilderness. They were called out of the world to be a part of heaven. But as it is, they desire a better country. Not just a land of God established on earth. Guys, listen, I believe that separation of church and state is a good thing. I do not want to establish some sort of church state. That test has been tried and failed. What happens whenever you take worldly people and you bring them in the church? They mess it all up. I don't want a church state. I want the church. And I want the government just to go away. Because the only Lord I want is Jesus Christ. They aren't thinking of the land that they were called out of because they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Look at this last sentence. We'll end on this, but boy, is this last sentence good. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed to be called your God. All the doctrines of the church on how wicked mankind is and how fallen we are, and we look at the failures even of some of these people. And we wonder, how is it possible that I could fulfill what's written in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19? 
having confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. How can I have confidence to do this? It's not just my confidence. You know what makes me insecure about approaching God is I think that He's going to reject me because that's what I experience in the world, right? The Bible says God is not ashamed to be called your God. He's prepared for you a city in fulfillment of all of these promises and fulfillment of the faith that Abraham had allowing him to see this city and his descendants. If you have the spiritual sight, if you're living by faith, you see the city before you. Because that's where we're going. Because that's what God's prepared for us. Our encouragement isn't just to live by faith from time to time, but it's to live by faith with endurance. I used to run cross country, believe it or not. It was about 100 pounds ago. And that's not a hyperbole. It was literally 100 pounds ago. I can't do it now because my knees hurt. Matter of fact, if I was to join a race or 5K or something like that, my strategy would be this. As soon as that gun gets shot, I'm going to run as fast as I possibly can because the only opportunity I have of having my name mentioned is going to be, and Derek Bremer takes the lead. After that, it's all downhill. The only other time my name would be called if I was in such a race would probably be, and the paramedics are coming after Derek Bremer because he's falling on his face. The Christian faith isn't about taking off quickly. It's about making it all the way to the end. It's about having the endurance of faith to persevere through trials and hardship and waiting. To be able to go when it doesn't make sense. You can be a Christian all your life and show your true colors at the end of your life. Everyone's going to say, that's a real shame. If God knows you and He has not ashamed to be called your God, that faith will persevere until the end. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this evening. God, I pray that you bless these people. Bless those unable to be here this evening. Give us safe travel home. Give us rest this week. Bring us together again soon, whether in this place or home with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.